look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. They've got a vision and a mission for their life. So let's jump in. I'm going to share a few things with you. We're going to talk about orphans. Then we're going to talk about us. It's going to be good. Here we go. First of all, I'm going to show you a picture here. (coughs) This is, I know, right? I know. He's lost. Can you tell? He's lost in the woods. How many of you guys, raise your hand if, if, if when you were a little kid you ever got lost? Did you ever get lost? <laughs> this is what happens every time I do this and I ask this question. It, conversations erupt because... What happens? You start remembering, right? I I wish we had time. Every one of you could come up here and tell us the story. What happened to you, right? Because maybe you got lost at the mall. Maybe you got lost in the woods like this kid. And for some of you, you're probably lost for like five minutes, and you thought it was the end of the world, right? You're crying. You're running around. Ah! You you know, but you're not supposed to talk to strangers, right? So every adult that tries to help you, you're like running away from them. Ah, get away from me. You think everybody's the bad guy. It's scary, isn't it? It's really scary being lost. And, and I, I have a good story, but I, for sake of time, I won't tell it. But if, when you're lost as a kid, it's like the worst thing. And it doesn't take more than like 30 seconds for most little kids after getting lost to start thinking, I'm never going to see my parents again. This is it. It's over. But you start asking Certain questions pop into your head, right? If you can remember, think back to when that happened to you, or maybe for some of you, you got lost on a regular basis. I don't know. But what happens in, in that moment, you, and you start thinking, I'm never going to see my parents again, then you start asking some questions, especially those of you who are very responsible, practical thinkers. You've already determined you're never going to see your parents again, all right? So then you go on to, well, all right, how am I going to survive? How, how am I going to, where am I going to sleep? How, how am I going to eat? What am I going to do for food? How will I protect myself from all the bad people out there, right? You start asking all these questions. You start wondering these things. And, and so on, on a more serious note, really, though, those questions that you might have asked and those feelings that you might have felt for a moment or maybe an hour or two or three, that's the reality for orphans, all over the world, that's what they face. Those are the questions that they have to ask. How am I going to eat? Where will I sleep tonight? And, and one of the questions that I hate the most is that they have to ask, how will I keep myself safe from the bad guys? Because not only do these kids have to live in conditions where they're trying to survive, they're trying to have, you know, find food, they're trying to get clean water to be able to drink. Uh, They're trying to just make it, but they also have to look out for predators, for people that would seek to harm them, to use them, to exploit them. That's the reality that these kids live in. So you wonder, like, how many of these kids are we talking about? Like, how many orphans are there in the world? Well, there's an organization called UNICEF. It's kind of the standard that uh, they estimate that number. 
And in 2010, last that they updated, they said 163 million orphans in the world. Okay? So in, in the year 2000, I think it was like somewhere around 80. 80 million. So it's really a global crisis because of famine, because of sickness and disease, war. Um, the, the number has dramatically, dramatically increased. So to put that into perspective, it, 163 million, that's more than double the U.S. minor population. So you guys, all your friends at school, your little brothers and little sisters, all across this country, double that number and then add a little bit, and that's the orphan population of the world, okay? So as you start looking at that number, those 163 million, a conservative estimate that it is that over 21,000 of those children die every day from starvation, from drinking polluted water, from preventable disease. So malaria, that's the, if you're wondering what that thing is on the right, that's a mosquito. So something that could be so easily prevented kills a lot of people. Something like just not, not having food to eat, starvation, literally kids starving every day, 21,000. I've been talking about this for a few years now, and I still can't wrap my mind around the fact that that many kids today will have died. It's unbelievable. And so I know it's heavy, guys. I know this is it's a heavy topic. It's hard. It's like, man, can we just talk about something fun? This doesn't feel good. I know it doesn't feel good, but it's the reality. It's what's going on in our world. But we're going to get to the good part in a minute. There is hope. I think you guys know that. His name is Jesus. Mary is a girl that we know of who, at 12 years old, she, she had already lost her mom to AIDS, and then her dad died uh, shortly after. At 12 years old, she was on her own. To, and also having to care for her little brother. So imagine being 12 years old, your parents have died, you've got a little brother to take care of. The short of the story for her is that the only way she could find to survive is that she had to prostitute herself. And, uh, and it wasn't something she went looking for, it was kind of forced upon her and uh, the first time. And then she realized, hey, the only way I'm going to be able to eat, the only way I'm going to be able to take care of my little brother is to do that again. And so she had to kind of step into that lifestyle at 12 years old. I can't even imagine. There's a little boy named Dennis that we know about. You remember the, the big earthquake in Haiti. His parents were killed during that earthquake. So he was at school. The earthquake hits. Everyone was fine in his class. They all got out. Teachers got out. Ran home to his village to find his parents dead. Six years old. Can you imagine? Six years old and your parents are gone. Now, I know Dennis's story and I know Mary's story because the people that we work with have found them and rescued them and and they're okay and they're in good hands and, and they're great. God has found them and rescued them. But... I tell you, just mention their stories because I don't want you to just hear numbers. I don't want you to just hear statistics. Uh, Sometimes that can be kind of numbing and paralyzing when you just hear these big numbers. It seems so impersonal. But these are real people, real individual kids with real stories. 
So there's the, that's the orphan side. There's the orphan crisis. And I could, I could tell you story after story. Um, I could tell you about kids that I've met in orphanages around the world, experiences that we've had. I will tell you one thing is these kids, it's, it's absolutely amazing. These kids who have nothing except they've been rescued. Uh, kids that I've met who've come into orphanages where they've, they've heard the gospel and they, they're being cared for now and taken care of. They don't really have much of anything, no real family, but there's such a joy in these kids. It's unbelievable. It's so humbling. Every time that I go, I see these kids, and I'm playing with them. I'm, I'm playing with them. I'm holding them. All I want to do is just break down and weep because I'm like, man, you got this, I can't believe it. What you're living in, this condition that you're in, but they're so full of joy. And I think about our culture and, and all that we have all that we're blessed with, all of the material possessions that we have, all the benefits that we have, all that we have access to, and yet we can be so unsatisfied. We can, be, uh, we can be so, feel, feel like we, there's a lack. I need more. And, and there's this drive in us. And so I want to talk about the other side of the coin here. There's this orphan crisis, but what's the crisis in our generation? What's the crisis in our culture here in America? What are we facing what are we dealing with? And I think the, the thing that is most prevalent as we look at our culture is the self-focus. It's, it's pushed upon us. It, it, we see it all the time. And you've even heard this. What I'm saying right now, you've heard it said, I'm sure, in many different uh, messages and sermons that, that, that we're bombarded with these ideas of entertainment, these ideas of it's about me and, hey, uh, you deserve this, you should do this, you should have this, this newest, latest, greatest thing. It's awesome, it's going to change your life. That's the message that we hear all the time. I mean, whether it's like, you should, you should buy this, this gum all, all the way to like getting a new house. It, it, everything, it's like the same message, no matter what the product is. It's this focus on me. Tell me what I need. Tell me what I deserve. Yeah, you're right. And we, we hear the commercials or the ads or whatever, and, and something in our head says, I think you're right. I think I do deserve that. I think I should have that. Or, yeah, that would make me happy. That would be fun. And, and all these things are, in and of themselves, are, are pretty innocent things or even good things or maybe great things. But it's the condition of our heart that's the problem. It's not the stuff. God... He wants to bless us like crazy. He's a good God. And He's got things for us that nothing in this world could even compare to. There's nothing we could manufacture, make, buy, or sell that would ever come close to the things He has. It's not a matter of God not wanting us to have stuff. And God saying, hey, I want you to just, you know, be lowly and poor and don't have any fun. That's not it at all. But it's, it's the issue of the heart. Where is our heart? What do we love? Where is our treasure? Like Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. And it looks like in our culture, even in the church, that a lot of times our heart, our treasure, is, is with the stuff and the entertainment and the fun and all of this. So look at this number. $705 billion we spend in America in a year on entertainment and recreation. $705 billion. That's a lot of dollars. Okay, hard to wrap your mind around that number, but it's a really, 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 really big number. There's, um, 
I, I, if I had more time, I'd break that number down, but it, we spend millions on all kinds of crazy things like trying to lose weight, millions of dollars in America on trying to lose weight, which is ironic when there are so many people starving and dying, but anyway. <coughs> so check this out. It would only take $30 billion a year to provide safe and clean water to everyone on the planet, okay? $30 billion is still a lot of money, guys. But it's only a fraction of what we spend on entertainment in this country. So it's kind of sobering. $6 billion a year would provide elementary education to everyone. Education, if you talk to experts, they would say education is the most critical thing. Because without education, the, the cycle of poverty continues over and over and over and over. So $6 billion, again, just a fraction of what we spend on entertainment. Actually, these numbers are also just a fraction of what teenagers spend. Uh, 12, 12 to 17 years old, every year in America, spend uh, $179 billion, I believe it was. $179 billion. And that's all entertainment, right? Like, how, raise your hand if you're paying the, the mortgage at your house. Right? Okay. <laughs> uh, if you have to pay for the groceries to bring home that you eat, you probably don't do that, right? You don't pay for the water bill, the electricity, all that. The money that you have to spend is like, hey, I'm going to get some new clothes. I'm going to get that video game. I'm going to go out to eat with my friends, all of that. That's what teenagers in America are spending money on. Teenagers in America alone could solve these problems. So check this number out. If teenagers alone gave two out of every $10 they spent, they could provide education and clean water to the world. Isn't that crazy? So that's why I get so excited because... Don't tell me that young people can't do anything, all right? The young people in America could take care of some major issues around the planet. You could, by yourself. You could do it. And we're seeing it happen all over the country with hard work. We're seeing it happen. Students just like you, jumping in and sacrificing. Okay, so we, we, our motto with hard work is destiny rescuing destiny. What is that about? Like I said earlier... We believe when God called us to do this, it, it, it wasn't just, hey, there's this problem and there, these really sad orphans, will you go help them? It's not God begging us, please, please, guys, get up and help these orphans. They really need it. Would you just do it for me, please? That's not what God is saying. He is inviting us to an opportunity. He is inviting us to an opportunity to be transformed. And that's what we mean when we say destiny, rescuing destiny. Because when we give and sacrifice, we are changed. So there's a verse in Isaiah 58, uh, 58.10, where God is speaking and he says, if you will spend yourselves, I love that wording, if you will spend yourselves in behalf of the needy and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. So check this out. Let's think about this for a second. When I first read this, and when we first started doing heart work, I thought that what really is happening there, God is saying, hey, if you'll do this for me, if you'll help the needy and the oppressed, then I'll help you out. I'll make your night like day. I'll take the bad stuff and the problems you're having, and I'll make them better. I'll turn the night to day. And the more and more I thought about it, the Lord showed me, it, he's, it, that's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, if you will do what I do, you'll become like I am. 
Do what I do. Become like me. I'm the God who serves. I'm the God who gives. Jesus himself, he said, hey, guys, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. And I came to give my life away. I'm laying my life down. And if you want to be like me, here's what you got to do. It's really easy. You got to die. You got to lay your life down. Take your cross up. Now, when we say take up your cross, it just it sounds so nice, you know? The cross is such a beautiful symbol now. But when he said it, he was saying, take up, take up the instrument of execution and come on. So, so in today's language, he might have said, you know, take your electric chair, you know? Pick up that electric chair and come on, let's go. Lay your life down. Give your life away. And that's what we're talking about with heart work. Spending yourself giving yourself. And when you do, you become like the Lord. So often, guys, I know, I know you've experienced this. I know I experienced this so much in my life, especially when I was your age, feeling like, okay, I want to be close to God. I love God. I want to know him better. But even in that, my relationship with him became about me. So all the time in my prayers, I'm praying about me. Uh, God, I sinned. I'm so sorry. Help me to stop doing that. Why did I do that? Oh, man, man, I'm so dumb. Why? I can't believe I did that again. Or, God, how come I don't feel joy like I did before? What's the problem? How come I don't feel right? How come I don't feel peace like I did before? Where's the peace? Where's the peace? God, can you help me with this? Can you help me with this? Man, I'm, I'm in a jam. Can you fix this situation? And again, it's that culture that we live in, in the self-focus And we've simply taken that self-focused attitude and placed it on top of our relationship with God. And we come to Him, and it's all about me. And even, guys, here, this is the thing. It's It's a subtle trick. It's a subtle trap of the enemy. Because even though it sounds so good, at the end of the day, who is the focus on? It's on me. And as long as the focus is on me, it just doesn't work. It won't work. Because if we're, we want to be close to God, we become like Him. We're conformed to His image. And He's not a self-focused God. Who is He focused on? On you. On us. He gave, the Father gave His Son. The Son gave His life for you. That's what He does. He gives. And so if we want to be like Him, we give. Here's the thing. The Father heart of God. This is what it's all about right here, guys. This destiny, rescuing destiny, we're giving our lives to help rescue the destiny of others. In that, we're finding destiny. And ultimately, what is our destiny? It's to know the Father. That's it. Plain and simple. Jesus said, I've come that you could know the Father. I am the way to the Father. I'm the only way to the Father. Jesus says, hey, I only do what I see the Father do. I say what I hear the Father saying. So what we're doing, even when we emulate Jesus, we're being like the Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm, I'm, just, I'm a reflection of him. So we're becoming like the Father when we do what Jesus did. Here's, here's the thing. The orphans that we're going to help. Tonight, we're kicking off a project. You guys are going to make sacrifices over the next several days to help orphans. And they need that help big time. I just told you, over 21,000 dying every day. So they need food. They need water. They need houses. 
But do you know what they need more than anything? And I believe this with all of my heart. More than those things, they need to know that at the end of the day, and at the end of their life, be it short or long, when it's over, they need to know they're not really orphans. They're not. They have a father. It's God Almighty. He created them. He knows them. He loves them. He has plans for them. They're not accidents. We might look at it and think that they're accidents. They're not accidents. And when they know that they have a father, everything will change. They have purpose. They have destiny. They have life. And guys, the same thing is true for you. When you understand, when you really understand that you have a father, everything will change. And I'm not talking about just religion. I'm not talking about just coming to church. I'm not talking about, well, I said the prayer. I'm a Christian. Yeah, I believe that you are. You believe in God. You've given your life to him. Yes, you're his. But do you know that he's your father? I can tell you, I, I, I don't have time to tell you the story, but I can tell you that in my own life, I know that that's true. For me, everything changed when I knew that I had a father. I was 14 years old. I was at a, at a summer camp, very much like Desperation. If you've been to Desperation Conference, just intense. We're worshiping God, and I had an experience with God that changed my life when I realized that he was my father. I had been abused uh, my entire life. When I was 12 years old, my dad died in a tragic accident, and I was an absolute wreck. And you know, a cool thing, actually, side note, um, when I was, it was 20 years ago that I was at this camp, and, and uh, there was a guy standing next to me at that camp who became one of my very best friends, and he's actually here tonight. His name's Chris, and he's here in the room visiting. Um, he's here for a couple of days. But he, he stood next to me as this thing happened, a miracle that changed my life. But it simply came down to me realizing wait a minute, all those things that my dad said about me, they're not true. I'm, I'm not an idiot. I'm not worthless. Uh, I'm not a mistake. And God loves me, and he cares for me, and he's my father. He's got plans for me. Are you, are you kidding? This is real? And when I realized that, everything changed, guys. Everything. I no longer was trapped in insecurity. I realized I'm somebody because God says I am. And that's true for you. You are somebody. You are more than you could understand you are because he loves you. And the price he paid for you is Jesus. So your value is the value of Jesus. The father sees you. He says, hey, you're as valuable as Jesus is because that's what I paid for you. So guys, when you understand who you are in Christ, because the Father is your Father, there's no stopping you. There's, no, there's nothing that can stop the destiny God has for you. And this is simply what I'm telling you. Jumping into something like rescuing the lives of orphans, it is a powerful way to unlock your heart and to embrace the heart of God, and to experience the heart of God for you as the Father. Do you hear what I'm saying? This is an opportunity for your life to be transformed. And I'm here tonight, not, not because I want to beg you to, try, to help orphans, not at all. 
I'm here tonight because I want to see your life changed as you embrace a life of sacrifice. You embrace a life of giving. You embrace a life that looks like Jesus. That's what we're talking about. You guys know the scripture, James 1.27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. What do you see in, in that scripture is the idea of sacrificial giving to care for widows and orphans, those who can't defend themselves, those who can't care for themselves and live a holy life. Be pure. I think it's amazing that those two things are stated as going hand in hand, and that's what God looks at as pure religion. That's what he looks at and says, this is good. And I I don't fully understand it. It's still a mystery to me. But in that is the idea of being like God. What, What is religion other than becoming like him, communing with him, having fellowship with him, and, and the Word of God says this is pure religion, is in doing this. So please understand, guys, what we're talking about here, this is, not, this is not like extra on the side. If you're a super great Christian, like you're a really good Christian, then you'll do something to help orphans. That's not, it's not what it is. It's, it's, not, it's not just something that's kind of uh, because the need is so big, then, hey, we should all rise to the occasion because, hey, after all, we're Christians. We should do something. No, this was said a long time ago. Before there were 163 million orphans in the world, James 1.27 said that it's pure religion to do this, to care for orphans and widows. It's deep. It's a deep idea. <laughs> okay, so when we started the hard work campaign, I, I don't I actually think I skipped this part, but we, we, we launched... Uh, at Desperation Conference, we took the offering. It was great, and we, we believe God was telling us, all right, spread this message, spread this idea. And so in the summer of 2010, June of 2010, at Desperation Conference, we launched what we call the 1K campaign. And the goal in the 1K campaign is to get a 1,000 groups of students around the country, each doing an orphan project in a 1,000 days, okay? So here's the thing. We're coming to the tail end of those 1,000 days, and we are right at 900 projects done. And here's, here's, here's what makes me ridiculously excited. You guys have the opportunity. That this whole thing started here. Whether you are part of it or not, you are a part of it because this is your home. This is your church, and this is the place where this was born. It started here. And you have the opportunity to bring it home here. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did. Because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life.